So this is from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. For the past couple weeks, if you've been here, uh, Pastor Dave has been um, going through the series. And actually, today we're going to conclude this series because next week he's starting a new series going through the book of Ephesians. But we've been talking about the God that we glorify. And so if our mission is to glorify God by being and making disciples... Who is this God that we glorify? And so we're just taking a few weeks and talking about a few attributes or characteristics of God. And so two weeks ago, we talked about God as creator. Last week, Dave talked about God as um, savior. And today, I'm going to talk about God as our sustainer. And so, and that's what, and the last part of that verse says, in him, all things hold together. That's what we... Um, where we get him a sustainer. So two areas I want to focus on today. The first is this. Here's your first fill in the blank and your bulletin there. If you want to take notes, he is the sustainer of creation. Because it's one thing to believe that God spoke everything into existence. But is he, and, and like he set it into motion, but is he sustaining it on a in a daily basis? Is he really involved in your life and holding everything together right now? Kind of an illustration that came to my mind this week is I built a lot of forts growing up. So I grew up here in Valley Center. We had 10 acres of grapefruit grove and all my friends had groves around their houses. And so we built a lot of tree forts and avocado trees are better than grapefruit trees to build forts in just for the record, but because grapefruit trees have little thorns in them. Lemon trees are the worst. But um, and so uh, we built a lot of tree forts growing up, but my favorite place to build forts was in our house. And so we had our family room that had the couch and TV and everything, but that wasn't my favorite place. We had a formal living room down on the other end of the house, and that was my favorite place to build because no one ever went in there, <laughs> right? And so, you, you know, you tilt the chairs over, and you put the blankets over, and you put the broomstick in the middle, and, or yardsticks, and then you put books on the backs of the chairs and blankets to hold them all together, and everybody knows, right? Hopefully you Hopefully you lived and actually built forts as a kid. But, and so I built a lot of forts in our living room growing up. There was one problem. I had two little brothers. And so without fail, and maybe I had it up for 10 minutes, and my two little brothers would come in and start playing in it and stand up and knock over a chair or whatever and ruin my fort. And so it was my job then to keep rebuilding and fixing and sustaining all the work that I had made, right? Now look back at Colossians 1, the verse that we just read a second ago. It says this, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things were created through him and for him. I can't talk about him as sustainer yet without spending just a couple minutes on him as our creator. I know Pastor Dave did this a couple weeks ago, and I'm not going to go through everything. Just give me a couple minutes because I think it is super important because this is one of those verses that there's no gray area. Either he is the creator and he spoke everything into existence or he's not. 
And that's it. Because here's what happens. Some people will take verses out of the Bible and say, you know what? I don't really like that one. That one doesn't really fit my idea of thinking, so I'm going to set that one aside. Then what's to prevent them from saying, oh, no, you know, I don't like this verse as well, so I'm going to set that one aside as well. And before you know it, you have now made God in your image instead of God making you in his image, right? Is this God's word or not? Is this complete or not? Is it your and my job to add to it or take from it because we don't agree with it? That's not our job, right? Either God's word is true and we need to believe all of it or it's not and we can disregard all of it. I believe that history, archaeology, testimonies, common sense proves that God's word is all true and worth patterning our lives after, including this passage right here. If this is true, that Jesus Christ created you and everything around you, then the implications are that you and I have purpose and value. Because if he made you on purpose, if he spoke you into existence, it's because he wanted you. He gives you purpose and value. If you're just a random clump of cells and molecules that just happen to come together, you have no purpose. You have no value. There is no worth within you. But if you have a creator who, who spoke you into existence and made you, then you do have purpose and value. Those are the only two logical conclusions. As for me and my house, we serve the Lord, right? This is the lens that I view all of life through, that God is our creator. And this is the lens that the Apostle Paul is viewing life through and communicates here. There is absolutely nothing outside of what Jesus Christ created. Nothing. There is nothing outside of what he created. The totality of everything that has ever been created, both seen and unseen, was because Jesus Christ created it without exception. That's it. Everything physical in our universe, everything invisible in the spiritual realm, every power structure, every force and law of nature was created by Jesus. That's the God that we worship today, right? That's why he's worthy of our singing praises. That's the least we can do is sing praises to him, right? Our hearts should be overflowing with praise, not a one God that made this and another God that made that. No, no, no. Not some cosmic accident that this all just happened. One God, three persons who spoke every, everything into existence and is in control of all of it right now. That should make you feel awestruck at the power of our God, right? That's why we worship him. He alone deserves it. But he didn't just make it and step away and watch it disintegrate like my forts growing up. He says in verse 17, it says he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Here's where we get to him being our sustainer. In Greek here, the word for before is referring to time and rank. So he was first and he's higher and more powerful and capable than everything that follows after him. Think of it as a pyramid. God is at the top, right? Everything else follows after him. There's not a close second, okay? There's only one top of the pyramid. Nothing else in all of creation even comes close to being more powerful than him, not even Satan himself. 
You know, we've seen cartoons as kids where you have God on one side or angel or whatever, and you have the devil on the other side, and there's like this equal match going on, right? Is that true? No. There's only one top of the pyramid, right? He created everything else. He spoke it into existence, including Satan. So the actual more correct image or power structure would be that Satan is like at the same level as Gabriel or Michael or an archangel, right? He's not at the same level as Jesus, okay? So get that lie out of your head. He's not even in the same realm of power of Jesus Christ. Every spiritual force only has power because Jesus allows it at this moment. At one moment in the future, that power will be taken away and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. One commentator said this about verse 17. It says, through him, that is Jesus, the world is sustained and prevented from falling into chaos. No creature is autonomous. All are God's servants and dependents. So what does that tell us? Since there is nothing higher or more powerful than God, then there is nothing else capable of sustaining all of his creation. Never do we worship a God who thinks in his head, Shoot, things are getting a little out of control here, right? Not exactly sure how I'm going to reel this all back in. That never goes through God's head, right? I want to look at Psalm 104 because this is so clearly and eloquently written. We're going to, if you have your Bibles open to it, I'm going to spend a few minutes here and looking through Psalm 104. Here's what he says. Are you there? Do you need more time? If you're there, say amen. amen. If you need more time, say hold up. hold up. Okay, I'll hold up just for a second. Turn to Psalm 104. Psalms is after Genesis and before Revelation. So <laughs> Psalm 104 says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty, covering yourself with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. He lays the beams of his chambers on the waters. He makes the clouds his chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind. He makes his messengers winds, his ministers a flaming fire. He set the earth on its foundation so that it should never be moved. You covered it with the deep as with a garment. The waters stood above the mountains. At your rebuke, they fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. The mountains rose. The valley sank down to the place that you appointed for them. You set a boundary that they may not pass so that they might not again cover the earth. What's he talking about here? He's talking about the flood, right? The earth has been destroyed one time. Who did the destroying? God. Who did the rebuilding? God, right? He rebuilt it how he wanted to put it back. I don't want to get on this global warming or environmental kick here, but there's one thing I need to say. You and I do not have more power than God. Has he entrusted us to take care of what he's given us? Yeah. But don't think for a second that we have the ability to destroy his creation outside of his will. 
We don't have that ability or power, right? Look what else this psalm says in uh, verse 10. It says, you make the springs gush forth in the valleys. They flow between the hills. Who's in charge of bringing water? God, right? Um, From your lofty abode, you water the mountains. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your work. Who sends the rain? God. Can you create water? If you could, you'd be a very, very wealthy person, right? If you could just make it out of nothing, you'd be the probably most important person in the world, right? But it's not possible. There's one person we get water from, and that is God. He's spoken into existence. At this point in time, now we just transfer water throughout the world. That's all we do. We transport it. Verse 14, you cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for man to cultivate, that he may bring food from the earth. Who causes the grass to grow? God, in turn, feeding the animals. In turn, we get milk, we get meat, right? It's all from God. He sustains it all. Verse 16, the trees of the Lord. Whose trees? His trees are watered abundantly. The cedars of Lebanon that he planted, right? They're his trees. He planted them. Now, you know, I say, Paul, scientists like crossbreed and cross-pollinate and are always coming up with new varieties of trees, right? Fruit that's sweeter and transports better and stuff, right? What scientist starts with nothing and says, here's a new tree? No scientist, right? It's always what God has already provided. Verse 19, he made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows it's time for setting. You ever thought about this? What if the seasons were random? (laughs) What if you just had no idea tomorrow what the season was going to be? Our societies would fall apart, right? Food could not grow. God is the one that sustains our seasons. He does. Even if in Southern California we don't have extreme seasons, he still sustains it, right? Nothing is random with God. He's a God of order and purpose. Verse 20, you make darkness and it is night, How do we know every night exactly what time the sun's going to set and what time it's going to rise the next morning? God is sustaining it, right? Because the earth is spinning at exactly the precise speed that it needs for everything to function. By the way, did you know right now we are spinning around the sun at eight times the speed of a bullet shooting out of a gun? Crazy, right? That's happening right now. Verse 21, the young lions roar for their prey, seeking their food from God. Who does the psalmist say is feeding the animals? God is, right? Is it their instincts? Who imprinted their instincts inside of them? God did, right? Did you know right now that if you take one square mile of raw land, there are more insects in that one square mile of raw land than there are people in the entire earth? That's amazing, right? Who's sustaining them all? Verse 27, these living creatures all look to you to give them their food in due season. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you hide your face, they are dismayed. When you take away their breath, they die and return to their dust. It doesn't get more plain than that, right? God is the one who sustains life and takes life away. Verse 30, when you send forth your spirit, they are created. Who brings new life? God. He's the one who creates it and sustains it. That's why the psalmist ends with verse 35. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise the Lord. Like, how can you read that and not give praise and honor and glory to God? 
He creates it, and he sustains it all. Now look back at the New Testament. Hebrews 1.3 says this, And he, that's Jesus, is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. No gray area. Is it true or not? Is he upholding all things by the word of his power? Is is God's word lying or not? Jesus is upholding all things. Not you, not me. 1 Corinthians 8, 6 says, Yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things and we exist for him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things and we exist through him. There's one more verse I want to read. And if, if none of these are clear enough, look at Job chapter 38, verse 33. It's where Job, you know, questions God, and God speaks back to Job. He said, hey, Job, you're getting a little too big for your britches. You think you know how things work? Let me tell you some things. God, speaking in Job 38, verse 33, says this. Job, do you know the ordinances of the heavens or fix their rule over the earth? Can you lift up your voice to the clouds so that an abundance of water will cover you? Can you send forth lightnings that they may go and say, here we are? Who has put wisdom in the innermost being or given understanding to the mind? Who can count the clouds by wisdom or tip the water jars of heavens? When you start to think just for a split second that you are the one keeping your world together, that life would just fall apart if you weren't worrying about your family and life and keeping all the balls up in the air, right? When you start thinking that, what would Job say? He would say, hey, Paul, go outside, look up at the sky and say, give me some water, please, clouds. I want some lightning right here just a little bit. And you realize real quick how much power and control you have. God is the one who is sustaining our world right now. So God sustains all of creation, but my second point is this. God is sustaining, and I want you to put your name on that line. God is sustaining Paul right now. Because it's one thing to know this truth for the world around us. Yes, he's holding it all together in his hands, but... You need to know how real and personal your sustaining God is because here's the reality, that God is sustaining you completely right now, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. He is sustaining you completely right now because look back at Colossians 1.17 that we started with. It says, in him all things are hold together. Are you part of all things? Either God's word is true or it's not. Do you feel emotionally out of control right now? Do you feel like a relationship is falling apart and it's your job to try to keep it together? Is your body and mind not what it used to be and you're realizing that your limitations shrink more each day? Parents, do you feel like it's your job to check your kids' GPS on their phones all the time wherever they're driving around, and it's your job to sustain their life? 
do you have that role and ability? You can't. Jesus Christ, according to Scripture, is your sustainer right now and your kids. And he will be tomorrow and the next day if he gives it to us. Now, does that mean that your body will stay 18 forever? And since your life was once happy and easy, that means he must maintain that level of happiness forever? No. Check this out. He is our sustainer, not our maintainer. Never does God promise an easy life. He never promises to keep your life easy, right? He holds us through the mountains and valleys. He doesn't eliminate the mountains and valleys. This is so important. I'm reminding myself of this this week as I was preparing. Like when life gets hard, we often believe the lie, somehow God's not sustaining me anymore because life is really hard. If God was sustaining me, this wouldn't be happening in my life. So obviously he must not be sustaining me. That's just not true. God never promised an easy life. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, right? He doesn't keep you at a certain level of ease throughout your life. He sustains you in the turbulence, not maintains a minimal level of turbulence. Look at Psalm 34, 18. That's one of my favorite verses. It says, he is near to the brokenhearted, and saves the crushed in spirit. He doesn't promise to take away the things that make you brokenhearted. He just doesn't. He sustains us through them because he is near us. How is he near us? Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 26. This one I want you to read in your Bibles. Turn there. Romans 8. If you're there, say amen. Amen. If you're not, say hold up. I heard one. I'll hold up. Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. God sustains us through his Spirit. Like, God can't be any more near you than he is right now. Right now, right? He's our helper, our advocate. You're never alone. When you start to believe the lie or you start thinking or telling yourself, I'm just alone in my life, is that true? No. Either God's word is true or it's not. John Stott, one commentator, he says this, he helps us and will always be with us. Talking about the Spirit. He teaches us all things and reminds us of everything Jesus said. He is the Spirit of truth. 
he testifies about Jesus. Now think about that. Let that sink in. This is who indwells believers. The Holy Spirit is the one who knows just what to pray and how to pray for us. I can't think of anything more encouraging. So God is sustaining us completely right now by his spirit inside of us right now. And tomorrow, when you feel alone, what do you tell yourself? Right now. It's always in the present tense, right now. Does this mean that we can do whatever we want because God is sustaining me? Here's what we sometimes think. I don't have to wear my seatbelt in the car because, you know, God's sustaining me. <laughs> All right? My dad used to say that. I don't have to take medication. God's got me. I don't have to take care of my body. God's got me. I don't have to pay my bills. God is sustaining me. I don't have to go to church. God is sustaining me. I don't have to be in fellowship growing with other believers. I don't have to be consistently reading God's word. God is sustaining me. I don't have to go share the gospel with those people because God is sustaining them too. He doesn't need me to come. I need to tell you a very deep theological truth that applies to lots of areas of our lives, especially this. You ready? Don't be an idiot. <laughs> Don't be an idiot, right? Those are just crazy things, right? God being our sustainer means that he uses anything he chooses in order to accomplish his will. Like God gave you a brain, use your brain. Does God use life support machines to extend people's lives longer? Yeah, he does. Does he use medication? Yeah, he does, right? Does he use seatbelts? Yes, he does. Does he use miracles? Yes, he does. Does he only always use miracles? No, he does not, right? He uses church. He uses his word. He uses anything he chooses in order to accomplish his will. Like who created everything and owns everything? God. So if you're alive today, it is because he is sustaining you completely. Also, he sustains us daily. He sustains you completely and he sustains you daily. Now, he gave you today, but he doesn't promise tomorrow. It's a hard pill to swallow. I read an article this week by this lady named Vanitha Rendell Reisner. She's had quite the life. Her infant son died because of a doctor's error. She had polio as a little girl and still struggles with pain every single day, chronic pain from it. Um... Years of being bullied growing up. Her husband was unfaithful to her, so she struggles with that. She lost three babies to miscarriage. She has pain every day of her life, both physical and emotional pain, okay? Here's what she said. She said, I cried out to the Lord, telling him that all of this felt colossally unfair. I ended by declaring, I can't live like this for the rest of my life. I just can't do it. I felt frustrated and angry and overwhelmed all at the same time. 
I realize that may sound deeply unspiritual, but that's how I felt. I couldn't imagine living the rest of my life with those physical struggles. After my lament, I was quiet. I had said all I wanted to say, and then I waited. Not sure if I was expecting a response from God, but I knew I needed to be still and listen. In the silence, the following words came to my mind. I'm not asking you to live like this for the rest of your life. I'm just asking you to live like this today. It felt like God was speaking to me. She says, and immediately an unmistakable sense of peace settled over me. My situation was unchanged, but somehow I felt strangely different. Today was a finite period that I could focus on. Today seemed doable. Today was much less frightening than the rest of my life. Coping with anything today seemed possible. Possible, that is, with God. God never promised you tomorrow on earth. He just didn't. Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. That's what Matthew 6 says, right? Today. Food for today. Later on in Matthew 6, do not be anxious for tomorrow. Tomorrow will have enough trouble of its own. Don't worry about tomorrow. It's today. Lamentations 3.22 says this, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. If you wake up tomorrow, he'll be faithful and merciful to get you through tomorrow, whatever he has in store for you. The article concludes with this. But he wasn't assuring me that my circumstances would change if I trusted him. He was calling me to endure today and trust him for tomorrow. God sustains us today, and God sustains us completely. So, logical question that I had after going through this. Why do we feel like we have to hold it all together? These are all truths that I've, I've heard my whole life. Why do we feel like we have to hold it all together? Look at Psalm 54, verse 4. There's just one little line in there. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is the upholder of my life. When did David write that? When he was hiding in a cave, hiding from King Saul, who was trying to kill him, who was trying to send soldiers out with swords to kill David. And David's hiding, and he's saying, God is the upholder of my life, right? He's my helper. Who was sustaining him? God. Who was holding his life? It wasn't Saul who had the ability to kill him. It was God who was the upholder of his life. I want to tell you one last story to sum up today. And this, uh, I mentioned my friends before, namely my friend Wade Lewis, I think I have some pictures of my buddies here. If you don't know anything about me, I have four best friends, grew up here in Valley Center. We all went to, we all became friends in elementary school over at the elementary. And uh, we, we talk every week. We do Bible studies together on Zoom. Uh, we do guys trips. This was a year and a half ago. And Mike, Josh, Bry, Wade, and myself. I've talked about Wade in the past um, because... Um, about two and a half, three years ago, he was diagnosed with brain cancer, 
glioblastoma. Um, right before the pandemic, he had surgery where they took out the bulk of the tumor, um, but they couldn't uh, get all of it. He's had chemo, radiation. Um, he's already lived longer than they predicted. But there's one thing that he's been using, and it's this machine called an Optune machine. You can see that little knit thing on his head. Will you go to the next picture? Here's him. That's his wife, Mandy, and that's a lady from his church. This Optune machine, essentially what it is, it's a battery pack that he wears on a backpack all the time. And it has these five cables that go up to his head, and he shaves his head every day. And he sticks these five patches on his head, and the machine pumps these... Um, electromagnetic pulses into his brain to keep the tumor at bay is what it's supposed to do, okay? He's worn this for 22 hours a day for the past two years. Each night, each evening, he takes it off, takes a shower and everything, reshaves his head, the next, and then his wife, Mandy, puts it all back on. Can't get too hot, can't sweat, right? It can't get wet, so he doesn't go swimming, it's been exhausting and draining, to say the least. Um, we had this guy's, the, the previous picture, we had this guy's trip a year and a half ago. It was all four of us guys to put all these patches on his head that morning. It was a pain. Uh, afterwards, we went hiking around our cabin out through the snow. While we're hiking, his um, heart rate gets up too high. His machine starts beeping because it's getting too hot, and so we had to cut our hike short and go in the cabin. A couple weeks ago, Wade and Mandy and his three kids all made the decision for him to stop wearing the Optune machine. So, I've been praying about it, um, talked to his neurologist, and um, felt like that was the best decision. Um, he said, I'd rather have a possible shorter life at an A+, instead of a possibly longer life at a C minus. He said, I just talked to him on uh, Tuesday. He said, I feel like I can fulfill my mission for the Lord even more effectively here on earth in this season of life without this machine hooked up to me. He and his wife Mandy, every week they go visit people in the Phoenix area that have glioblastoma. And he ministers to them and prays for them. He's a pastor, a volunteer pastor at his church. They are serving the Lord today. If tomorrow comes, great. If he dies, great. He's with the Lord either way. He said he has no regrets for choosing quality over quantity of his life. He's riding his bike every day. He's swimming. He's exercising every day. No regrets. All the things he wanted to do for two years. I'm not telling you that's the right decision for everybody. This was their decision. Has the Optune machine been sustaining Wade for the past two years? Some would say, yeah, since he's still alive. What I didn't tell you is that the machine, the manufacturer says it has a success rate of between 12 and 20% success rate. So has it been keeping the tumor at bay? Has it been working? Who knows? But what have we learned today from God's word? 
Colossians 1, 15 through 17. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He's before all things and in him all all things hold together. Like God is ultimately the only one in control of our todays and our tomorrows. If he's given you breath in your lungs right now, then he will sustain you right now. Because you and I are here for him. That's what verse 16 just said. He will use whatever he chooses to keep us going for his glory. Or he'll take us home for his glory. Sustaining doesn't necessarily mean that he keeps us alive. That's hard to hear. Because we think that if somebody dies, somehow God's not sustaining, or he failed in sustaining them. Did God sustain Jesus for 33 and a half years? Yes. Did Jesus die? Yes. Did God fail Jesus? No. Romans 14, 7, for none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. At some point, you have to conclude that your life doesn't belong to you. My life isn't about me. My life isn't mine. My kids' lives are not mine. And it's so freeing when you realize that you belong completely to God alone. Body and spirit, I'm his. <laughs> He's sustaining me as long as he wants to. Am I going to use my brain in the meantime? Yeah. Am I going to wear a seatbelt? Yeah, I'm going to wear a seatbelt. Am I going to read God's word? Yes. He is holding me and everything else together. There is no luck, there is no chance, there is Jesus Christ as our creator and sustainer and in control of everything. Amen. That's the God that we glorify. He's our creator, our savior, and our sustainer. Let's pray. God, I'm humbled um, I don't even deserve to be alive for 43 years. But God, you've been sustaining me every day. Everyone here right now, you're sustaining them. And so God, I pray that you would like realign our focus to instead of how can I get the most happiness and satisfaction for myself out of today, it's God, how can I glorify you? Because we are here for you. You breathe life into us, you take it away, and you sustain us in between the two. And so, God, may you just remind our hearts of these truths. And, God, would your spirit take away the pressure that we put on ourselves when we fool ourselves into thinking that we have more control and power than we do? God, you're good. You're loving. You're faithful. You're merciful. 
Remind our hearts of those truths today. In Jesus' name, amen.